People sleep peacefully in their beds at night only because rough men stand ready to visit violence on those who would harm them. This is a quote from George Orwell, who we all know wrote best-selling novels, uh, 1984 and Animal Farm. But it's also a quote that this author lived by in his 21-year military career. Brad Taylor is the author of 12 best-selling novels known for uh, uh, anti-terrorist focus. Um, I hope I got the uh, number right. Are we uh, up to 12 books, Brad? No, you've you've actually. Hopefully, we'll be up to twelve soon. This oh, is, no fortune found you is number seven. Oh, really? Well, I counted wrong. All right. Well, that's okay. <laughs> oh, well, I've got the. This, you probably counted the. Uh, I have some uh, short stories out as well. Yeah, ex- kind of. You know, it, they count as past stories, so they. Exactly, and I think that's what I did. Um, but you've got seven. You've got seven full novels, correct? Yeah. Okay, and. Um, your latest book, No Fortunate Son, um, is part of a uh, uh, part of a series, I guess we would say. It's a uh, Pike Logan yes. thriller who you've uh, introduced uh, years ago. Why don't you give us a, a little thumbnail on No Fortunate Son, Brad? Yeah, uh, the idea for No Fortunate Son actually came from uh, Bo Bergdahl, uh, the guy that went missing in Afghanistan. When I was that happened while I was still on service, and uh, we put an enormous effort to recover him. I mean, just everything, night and day, trying to find him again, get him back into friendly territory. And he was kind of a nobody, and he left with a cloud under his head. No, you know, he, he didn't leave with uh, what he deserved. Did he go AWOL? But we still put the effort into getting him. And I thought to myself, you know, what would happen if we, uh, if somebody that was politically connected had gotten captured? Uh, because Senator John McCain had a son in the Marine Corps. Uh, Vice President Biden had a son in the Navy. The governor of uh, South Carolina's husband's in the army, so they're out there. And I thought, you know, would the calculus change? Would it? Would we have? What would change if these guys had been taken? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where the, the story came from. Crazy. Um, you were born in Okinawa, right? How how long did you uh, were you in Okinawa? Uh, well, actually, I've been there twice. So the I was born. I don't remember much of that because. My dad was fighting in Vietnam, and uh, I was probably home by the time I was one and a half. Oh, okay. But I then did another tour in First Special Forces Group in Okinawa right. um, in the 90s. And actually, there's a, they had the same hospital there. My daughter was born in Okinawa, and there's a one in four chance she was born in the same room I was born I'll be, I'll in. The same be, hospital. Wow, that's crazy. That, that's nuts. I, I was attached to, to uh, uh, NMCB-10, CB Battalion, and uh, I was a uh, corpsman. Uh, 73 to 76. Um, so, uh, well, I was supposed to go there and, uh, what I didn't want to go to Okinawa. So I contacted a, uh, doctor friend. Um, I told him I couldn't breathe. He gave, he, 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 op, um, operated on me. He gave me a septoplasty, which kept me out of Okinawa. But <laughs> the crap was that, <laughs> Uh, I got sent to Diego Garcia instead, <laughs> and boy, what a lovely tour that was! <laughs> oh man, I tell you. So okay, so you're uh, you're fairly young. When did you leave uh, Special Forces, Brad? Uh, retired in 2010. Okay, and so you're in your are you you're in your late 40s or early 50s? 40. 40. Yeah, late, late 40. 40. Okay, all right, that's cool. Um. Yeah, I um, I've always been a fan. Uh, I, I, all my 
family men were in the service. My father uh, did the uh, Pacific Conflict during World War II, um, and I signed up uh, pretty much in legacy uh, or as a legacy to my father. Um, and I had a great time in the service. You, of course, were uh, you were one of those special guys. You were attached to Delta, correct? I was. I served with him. Right. And um, what um, you know, the, you've got uh, you've got some stuff on your uh, on your website. Uh, kind of explains your uh, mission and philosophy. Why? Um, what what drove you? Uh, I can understand going into the service, but what drove you to uh, to go into special forces, Brad? Actually, that was it's kind of a reverse. I wanted to go into special forces, and mm. that's where you had to go into service to do that. That mm. was the goal I had uh, when I took my commission. Hmm. But why? I mean, d- d- deep down in your soul, um, was there something calling you? Are you uh, are you just a natural born warrior? You think? Uh, yeah, I'd love to say all those kind of things, but the truth of the matter was, I was in college, and uh, you know, you're, I was kind of wandering around the, the wilderness trying to figure out what I was going to do. I grew up on a farm, mm-hmm. uh, and I started reading about uh, the military. Started reading about special forces, and uh, the truth of the matter is, it, as a 22 year old kid, I'd love to say uh, I wanted to sacrifice everything to serve my nation, but it was more akin to they're going to pay me to jump out of airplanes and shoot guns. <laughs> I mean, that was a pretty good. You know, that's a way to live, as far as I was concerned. Uh, and since, I mean, then as you mature, the, the um, serving the nation and that kind of thing as your leader, as you start commanding men in combat and that kind of stuff, comes much more to the fore. Uh, mm-hmm. But initially, the reason I joined the Army is because it seemed like a good job. All right, great. Uh, that works. That works for me. Um, so, um, you've written about anti-terrorism and um, I'm interested on your take on what's going on today. You know, there's a lot of crap going on in the world today. Um, uh, boy, there's a... Yeah, I'd say that the, the the biggest threat we face right now is the Islamic State. Uh, there's a lot of terrorist groups out there, Boko Haram, I mean, they're all over the place, Hezbollah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those guys, while they're definitely terrorist groups, they don't have uh, aspirations to strike the United States. Uh, as much as um, Hezbollah used to all the time, but now that we're kind of in a wary truce about what we're doing with them. Uh, Islamic State's made no you know, bones about it. They, they're coming after us. They've said it over and over again, uh, just like al-Qaeda did in 95 when bin Laden gave the fatwa against us and said, we're coming for you. Uh, then he blew up the embassies in 98. He blew up the coal in 2000 um, and had you know the, the Battle of the Black Sea. He was involved in that, the Black Hawk Down type thing. Mm-hmm. And he finally came for us for 9-11. Well, the Islamic State's doing the same thing. Make no bones about it. They are coming towards us, and they're threat to the United States. So how do we fight this, Brad? I mean, um, uh, we, found out, we found out in Vietnam when we went to Vietnam that uh, the enemy looked the same. Uh, we found out in uh, Afghanistan, same kind of scenario. You couldn't tell who was good, who was bad. Is is this this is this looks like a, a different type of war? It's it's not uh, how we used to engage our enemy. A uh, lot more uh, technology involved. Uh, the terrorists have cell phones. They've got computers. Um, they've got network systems. So what's it going to take? Um, I mean, do we have to develop a or train a new breed of of soldiers? Is that is that what's coming to fruition? 
uh, now as far as uh, protecting our national security? It's it's not a new breed of soldier, but the first thing I'd say before talking about the military component of the the fight, it's not a military solution. Uh, It never has been a military solution. Right. Uh, We always want to use the military, but, I mean, the dime, the diplomatic information, military and economic, the gem of that is just one piece, and it's one piece of an overarching strategy. It's a a critical piece, but it's not... You're not going to win. I mean, we use the right now. We've used the drones. That's a tactic. A drone can be used to disrupt a terrorist organization by decapitating leadership, but it's not a strategy. You're not going to win with a drone for strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the same token, just using airstrikes against the Islamic State is not going to win. There's not uh, just bombing them into. You, you can't just get rid of them to bombs. Now, I'm not saying we should invade the country, but there's a political solution. That the heart of the Islamic State problem is the the dysfunctional. Uh, Iraqi government, which has bred the capability for those guys to even exist. Um, and there's a lot that has to be done in Iraq to eradicate them. Well, in Syria, too. Syria is a conundrum that probably doesn't have a solution at this point. A solution is favorable to us, put it that way. Right. <laughs> really got a solution to be favorable to the Islamic State. Right, right. Well, you know, um, I, I talk to a lot of uh, authors who write the types of books you do, Um uh, I know that you being a, uh, a vet and especially attached to Delta, uh, you've got some contacts, uh, lifelong contacts, I, w- I would suspect. And, you know, one, uh, one question comes to mind. Do you, uh, do you still rely on, uh, on people you know to get, uh, uh, to get ideas, uh, to get new information, um, or do you write based on you know, what's inside you and what you've experienced. How do you, how do you put all that together? Uh, it's a little bit of both. The, uh, um, the experiences come into play at more of the tactical level, the gunfight level, that kind of thing. Mm. At the operational strategic level, a lot of it is just following the news. I still do security consulting for the government, so I still have my finger in the pedal a little bit. But uh, I don't do, uh, because I do have a security clearance and because I do am right on the programs, I, I do not specifically seek out somebody to give me some kind of secret. I, I don't put anything classified in the books. I don't have to put anything classified in the books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't seek to do anything like that. I can keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on. Just by, I get news feeds from the Middle East. I get news feeds from hackers, sources. I get news feeds from everywhere, and I read them every morning. And I can pretty much keep up on what's going on in the world just by doing that. Hmm. Crazy. So, um, Pike Logan, how did he, uh, how did he fold in and, uh, uh, is he going to uh, is he going to continue on his quest? Um, uh, what do you got coming up down the road? Yeah, actually, I'm about done with uh, book eight called The Insider Threat, and it is in fact on the Islamic State. I uh, I write about current events. I try to be as current as possible, but uh, it's a it's a fine line between writing something that's going to pop or something that's going to fall apart. Well, for instance, in this book. Bobergdahl wasn't released. I finished the book. He gets released, and I had to do a bunch of rewrites because he was kind of in the book. And I'm like, well, that's screwed up. <laughs> he actually came out. Now I'm writing about the Islamic State, and there's a, you know, it's a fifty-fifty shot that this book could go south because something that happens with the Islamic State. Yeah. Well, I've I've, I've watched this dynamic for for many 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 years. Um, I'm sixty, so I've been through a little bit more than uh, a forty-year-old, let's say, or thirty-year-old, and. Uh, uh, yes, there's there's a, quite a threat that is coming to the forefront nowadays. But I always thought that um, 
Uh, some of this, some of this uh, retaliation may be because uh, we, we, the government, the military, the government, the United States, uh, has has uh, tried to um, liberate some of these uh, cultures uh, in the past. Where, and and my take is, you you can't you can't do much with a with a religious uh, mindset. Um, we're fighting. We're fighting today a uh, a group of individuals that are that that is solely based on their religion and and what they f- feel and what they think and what they believe. And is 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 it hopeless to to get to some kids some some day because apparently there's been anti-American uh, dialect for for you know, um, decades, uh, uh, these, these, well, young, these young kids are taught that, you know, we're the bad guys. Yeah. The, 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 at the heart of the matter, it's, I mean, it's kind of like a, not to be flippant, but the Dallas Cowboy Detroit Lions game was played. The Cowboys win, the Lions lose. Well, the Lions didn't lose because they're a bad team. The Lions lost because there's a bad call. You're, you're always looking for something to blame. Uh, and that's kind of where the anti-American comes in because we're the 800 pound gorilla. Mm-hmm. Things are going bad in the country. I have poverty. I have this. I have that. My government's doing this to me. Well, whose fault is it? It's not my fault. It must be America's fault. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes from that. The anti-religious or the religious zeal going on is not necessarily a product of that country. I mean, ISIS itself, the Islamic State, has got the giant, there's 16,000 foreign fighters that have flocked to that. Mm-hmm. And they flock to it for a variety of reasons. Uh, and a lot of the reasons are, I'm searching for some reason to exist. Some stupid kid who's got nothing and trying to find some reason to exist and he goes over there and he falls in this siren call of these guys are what I want to be and they one kid who grows up as a Baptist says well I'm going to be a Muslim and he runs the Islamic State mm-hmm. I'll tell you right now that inside Iraq and inside Syria and inside uh, Kurdistan there are the majority of those people are not like that they want these people out of here they want to be liberated they do not want to live under the mantle of the Islamic State if they did the Islamic State wouldn't be fighting anybody it'd be over right they don't everything right but they are fighting precisely because people do not adhere to what they espouse. Now, we look at an American uh, system because it's in the news, and then it's like we like to lump everybody into black and white. Oh, he's, an, he's a Muslim. He's cutting somebody's head off. All Muslims are bad. And that's just not the case. But that's what we're, that's what we're uh, learning through the media. Um, you know, every time I turn on the damn TV or pick up a paper, you know, it's – the media is getting involved. The media is out in the forefront saying this, this, and this. I mean, um, well, you see a lot of people talk about the media. You know, the Shia and Sunnis can't get along. The Shia and Sunnis been killing each other for centuries, and yada, right. yada, yada. Right. That's not the case. It's, it's greater than religion. There's something beyond the religious schism there. Now, uh, the Islamic State's leveraging that religious schism, but we, we usually we talk about in Iraq. We say Shia, Sunni, and Kurd. And mm-hmm. one of these things is not like the other. The Kurd is a nationality, and guess what? They're 80% Sunni and 20% Shia, just like the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. If there was a Shia-Sunni split, why aren't the Kurds killing each other? Mm-hmm. They're not killing each other because there's something greater than religion. Mm-hmm. So using religion as a device to cause a fight is certainly viable, as the Islamic State's proven, but it's not a foregone conclusion that it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. If it were, the Kurds would be killing each other. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. Um, what... Uh, I'm reading something right now. You, you've got a master's of science in um, defense analysis. Um, 
And what is irregular warfare? I've hadn't run into irregular this. Irregular warfare is kind of Penelope of uh, the total umbrella of uh, uh, different ways of fighting that's not force-on-force, tank-on-tank. Okay. So cyber warfare, counterinsurgency, insurgency, terrorism, all that kind of thing falls hmm. under irregular warfare. Hmm. Asymmetric warfare is a better way of looking at it. Okay. All right. Well, I get that now. <laughs> I get that. Um, so you live in uh, South Carolina. Um, so do my kids. <laughs> my kids just moved there, like two miles from the beach. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they and they love it. Yeah, um, they live in Charleston. They live in Charleston, yeah. yeah. Um, and so um, when did you land there and uh, – you know, you like it. You stay in. Uh, apparently, you're raising yeah, a family I love it. out there. I call there. it the promised land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The uh, my last uh, my last assignment. Well, actually, I have ties there. My my brother went to the Citadel. My dad went to the Citadel. All my grandparents and dad and mother grew up in Charleston. Hmm. And I spent my summers there. I grew up in Texas. Hmm. Uh, and in my last assignment, I was a professor of military science at the Citadel, teaching military science. Is the right. last thing I did before I retired. Wow, wow, that must have been a great job. I mean, yeah, it was. I, but that's, I mean, that's why I ended up being a writer, because I always wanted to write a book. And I <laughs> i was uh, at, um, uh, when I left the special mission unit, there was just a ton of work. I mean, you were working 24 hours a day. Mm. I got down there, and it was just like stepping off a bullet train and crawling. I had so much time on my hands, I said, I think I'll write a book. <laughs> I thought I'd sit on the bedside table, and it uh, actually sold. What'd your wife say about that when you first told her you're going to write a book? She said that that's kind of, you know, whatever you want to do, you can sit and write that book. Okay. We, she didn't think it would go anywhere either. Really? Oh, man. That's crazy. Do, do you collaborate with her at all or uh, or not? I do. She does. Uh, uh, she reads every book, obviously. I actually have guys that are still operational read it as well mm. uh, for technical accuracy and to make sure I'm not saying anything I shouldn't, anything that uh, would be harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, but she reads every one of them, and she does both the grammar as well as the uh, – uh, you know, I don't think this is working here. You need to fix this type stuff. Right, right. Wow. Well, I've, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see you're not a uh, a lawyer turned writer because because I've I've talked to like Jeffrey Deaver and Baldacci a number of times, and there's there's a ton of novelists out there that were ex lawyers. <laughs> it's like, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah. You're you're a freaking lawyer, and now you're now you're a uh, uh, an author. But you, um, you know, you've been able to pull it off. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I hadn't gotten to you uh, over the past couple of years, but I did read No Fortunate Son. And I, I like your style. Um, you kind of write like Baldacci, um, where you set the tone with little, uh, with little picture frames, you know, which helps me follow the story. Um, obviously, educate. Yeah, well, Go. Yeah, go. I, I didn't. Uh, I haven't had any uh, writing instruction. I, I didn't. I never take any writing classes or anything like that. Yeah. I've always just been a voracious reader, and I, I set out to write. When I wrote the book, like I said, I didn't think it was going anywhere. I just wanted to write what I thought I would like to read, and that's that's been my guiding principle. What I like reading is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Deaver, Deaver, and Baldacci say the same thing, um, uh, and both of them. Uh, you know, both of them are, are going to continue and keep going. What? Um, so, what are your long-term plans, um, Brad? Are you going to uh, you going to continue to 
you know, teach down the road? Um, do you think you'll get back into that, or do you, or do you think you're just going to uh, uh, take Pike Logan uh, as far as you can go? <laughs> I'm I'm definitely taking Pike Logan as far as I can go. The uh, I'm now writing two books a year, uh, so it's become just pretty much a full time job because I'm either it's actually in that six month period I'm like I'm doing right now. I'm promoting one book, I'm editing a second book, and writing a third book. Jesus. Uh, and uh, so I'm, my security contracting stuff, the the consulting stuff I do, I do that about twice a year now. Mm. Some contracts I have, hmm. I've slimmed down that completely. I still do some teaching just pro bono uh, at uh, like my daughter's high school. I teach some uh, insurgency and terrorism classes to their peace war and defense class. Hmm. I still sometimes I still teach at the Citadel. If they ask me to come over there, I'll give them a class. And I do some, you know, instruction around town, but that's all just because somebody asked me to. Right. Writing right now is a full-time job. Right. And obviously you enjoy it. <laughs> obviously. So, okay. Definitely. One more question. Um, how – okay, the world's in a crap right now. A lot going on. Um, I, I, I don't fear, but I uh, – I, 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 I'm trying to visualize what this world's going to look like for my kids, um, for my grandkids. Um, are we going to be uh, – is, is America going to be like Europe was uh, for a number of years, always on edge, uh, always looking over our shoulder? Is Do you think, do you think we'll ever get attacked um, in our homeland again like – like nine eleven. Yeah, we're definitely going to get attacked again. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt. It's just a, it's a function of time. But uh, to the extent of the attack and the how big it'll be, uh, I don't know. But there's there's no doubt in my mind we'll be attacked again. But the good thing about America, though, unlike Europe, is I mean we're basically our island over here. Mm-hmm. You've got Canada, the North, Mexico, the South. Other than that, you're not going. We we get to pick and choose if we're going to go on a full scale fight somewhere. Nobody's going to be able to come in here or do anything. Uh, so we're pretty secure in that that environment. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we need to what do we need to learn um, down the road? Because I look at, you know, I ask authors like like you, um, you know, we we, America has been down this road. American military has been involved in a lot of conflicts that a lot of people think we should not have been. Um, I don't believe that. uh, Well, let me ask you, what do you do you think that. um, uh, do you think that we're going to make a difference down the road? I know we've made a difference uh, as far as our models concerned in the past, um, although there's some crazy stuff going on right now with our administration. And so, what 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 do we need to do uh, to understand to learn? Well, I think that uh, you can't look at the. Uh, um Everything in a, in a vacuum. For instance, uh, I mean, Afghanistan, people say we should never go to Afghanistan. I, I would beg to differ. I mean, they blew up the World Trade Center. Uh, not the Taliban, but they were housing bin Laden. We asked them to give up bin Laden. They wouldn't. Right. Uh, that, to me, is a no-brainer. You can't drop the Trade Center and just say, well, we won't do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iraq's a different story uh, as to whether it still remains unseen, how that will turn out. But in a vacuum, if you look at Iraq, you say this happened. But there are repercussions of Iraq, which may be good, may be bad. The Arab Spring is a direct result of Iraq. Uh, the first part of the Arab Spring was known as the Cedar Revolution in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Syria owned Lebanon, mm-hmm. uh, was running around assassinating people and things like that. Uh, 
uh, and the people in Lebanon saw the people voting in Iraq and said, this is going to change. And they did the Teeter Revolution in the streets. Syria fled, and the reason Syria fled, now this is the same guy who killed 20,000 civilians in the town of Hama in his own country. He has no compunction about slaughtering people. Right. He did not do anything in Lebanon. He told Condoleezza Rice, tell President Bush, I am not Saddam Hussein. I am a man to be reasoned with. <laughs> well, clearly what we did in Iraq had a direct reflection on him fleeing Lebanon. What happened in Lebanon, the Cedar Revolution, then transposed into other countries saying, hey, look, if we protest, we'll get this, you know, a new government in place. And the Arabic Spring started from that. So you can't look at Iraq as a, um, and I'm not saying either one is good or bad. I'm just saying you can't look at it in a vacuum and say, Iraq, the nice border state, this happened, therefore it ends here. There are repercussions that went throughout the Middle East for everything we do there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. Yeah, those are the stories we never hear about. Um uh, well, it's it's hard to tell what's the truth out there these days, isn't it? You know? Well, isn't... it is, because everybody's got their own version of the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Crazy, man. Well, listen, this has been a kick in the butt, actually. Um, uh, I'm glad I was able to get inside your head a little bit. Um, I'm looking forward. Uh, I, actually, I'm looking forward to reading more um, because, again, I, I loved uh, – I like. I really love your writing style, and I think No Fortunate Son is a uh, a great book. And uh, um, I, I, I'm looking forward down the road. See see what you're going what you're going to come up with next. Next time we talk, you can tell me how you like it. Well, I will, and um, I may have you. Uh, well, you can't do this anymore. But I was thinking this morning. You know, you live in Charleston. My kids live in Charleston. Once you uh, Blackface and uh, go see him one night. <laughs> I, I, you should have. Uh, I, go ahead. Had him, uh, come to the book launch. <laughs> I did the book launch at Shelter there in Mount Pleasant. Oh shit! Is that right? That's where they live. They live in Mount Pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. I just put them on the. No, that's where I did the book launch. And says it. Oh crap! Well, I'm going to try to get out there this spring. If I get out, I'll try to contact you. Maybe we can uh, uh, meet for a few minutes. So, I'll. Uh, Oh, you know, I was going to ask you. Living on the coast in in Charleston, do you, do you ever get into? Do you cook? Do you ever get into that um, when you were in the service? Yeah, my and, wife does. She's a cook. But you don't. Okay. All right. Well, that's yeah. cool. That's cool. I was just wondering. A lot of uh, a lot of guys uh, that I talk to, uh, guys and gals, cook, and I just thought that with the abundance of that, uh, with that great. Uh, uh, Fish uh, yeah, that come. Oh man, I tell you, yeah, yeah. My kids are foodies. I'm a foodie myself, and uh, love to explore that. Well, listen, um, folks. Brad Taylor. Um, this is his seventh full novel, uh, No Fortunate Son. It's a uh, Pike Logan um, continuation thriller. Um, Brad Taylor is, of course, New York Times bestselling author. And uh, I wish him all the best and uh, success and uh, protection. Brad, thank you very much for talking today. Okay, appreciate it. Appreciate it, Brad. Thank you very much, bud. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.